0: Good to see you on a Wednesday night. How many of you are glad to be in church in the middle of the week and be with the body of Christ? Amen. I am glad to be here and glad that you're here as well. We have a lot to do tonight and so I want to jump right into to the uh, Bible study. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and before we jump into this we want to pray and ask the Spirit of God to... Meet with us to speak to us tonight through his word, and also to pray for the other meetings that are going on around the campus. Um, our children, as Miss Kim is leading them tonight, we want to pray for them. We want to pray for Brother Matt and Miss Jenny and all the young adults uh, that are meeting tonight. We want to pray for our youth, that Brother Austin and Miss Holly. Our leading tonight, as well as our our study in here, and we're going to have our prayer time in just a little bit. But let me let me ask you to uh, pray, especially for two people tonight. Um, one of them is Brother Tom and Miss Carolyn's son-in-law, Keith Ramsey. Um, Keith found out this week that he has a brain tumor, and um, Lisa. Many of you know Lisa and and Keith. And so, Monday, they're going to be going to Vanderbilt, and they'll be uh, doing tests and know further what all that means. Uh, So, be praying for Keith and and Lisa, if you would. Also, uh, Victoria Messiello, I believe is how you say it, M-A-S-S-I-E-L-L-O. This is um, Brother Terry and Miss Donna Dillon's daughter-in-law, who is expecting and there, there are concerns. They haven't given a lot of details about um, Victoria, but there are some, some concerns there. So she is going to be delivering the baby by C-section on March the 23rd. The, the concerns are not with the baby. The concerns are with Victoria. And so she's going to be having a C-section on March the 23rd and then a bone marrow biopsy on march the 24th and so um that is all we know at this point but we want to be praying two of our our families in our church under very heavy burdens tonight with the this news and as the body of christ one thing that we're called to do is to bear one another's burdens and so um let's do that tonight as we in our time of of prayer and study father thank you for Thank you for the opportunity you give us, uh, and the great privilege of prayer, how it strengthens us and draws us closer to you and to one another. Lord, we thank you for the music that has reminded us that you are our sovereign God, our everlasting God, and Lord, tonight that we can bring our troubles and the things in this life that uh, weigh us down, and Lord, we can cast them upon you and we cast these cares upon you tonight we know that you love us and you care for us and so lord we we bring these requests we pray for keith we pray for lisa we pray for the appointment on monday Uh, and lord we pray that this will be something that they're able to remove and yet as we just prayed with miss carolyn before most importantly god we pray that People will be drawn to you through this. People that may not know you will come to know you. People that do know you, Lord, will draw closer to you. We pray the same for Victoria tonight, Lord. We pray that you will be with her and be with the baby, be with their family. And, Lord, these tests are coming up in several weeks. We pray, Lord, that you would just be with them in the meantime, direct their hearts to you. We pray, God, that you would give them peace and comfort and also, Lord, that you would conform them to your image to be more like you, to grow closer to you through this difficulty. We pray for our meetings tonight around the campus. pray for our children that are uh, studying tonight your word, memorizing scripture, our teens who are doing the same. Lord, we pray for our young adults. and We pray for all those that are leading them and teaching them tonight. That you would fill them with your spirit, guide them and direct them and speak to each and every person. Me with, be with our time in here as well as we continue our study through 1 Corinthians. And Lord, thank you that we have your word. We have these warnings, um, Lord, that we need to take to heart. And that w- there might not be anything in our life that would bring your judgment upon us, Lord. But that we would walk in fellowship with you. Pray your blessings, Lord, uh, continued blessings upon our church. Uh, Most importantly, spiritual blessings, Lord, that come from you. We pray this in Christ's precious name. Amen. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to jump in in verse number 17. Brother Chris did a great job last week covering the first 16 verses uh, for us. As we come into this section, it is, again, a rebuke, which a lot of... 1 Corinthians has been a rebuke to the church at Corinth. And this one is in regards to one of the two ordinances of the New Testament church. The New Testament church has two ordinances, one being baptism and the other being the Lord's Supper. Let me just give you kind of a definition of these. Baptism is an initial outward demonstration that declares and celebrates Christian conversion through faith in Christ. And we see this often here at our church. We're thankful for that, that those who come to put their faith in Christ, uh, there is no need to continue to be baptized over and over again, uh, as he calls us to do with the Lord's Supper. It is a, an initial outward demonstration. Um, The Lord's Supper is an ongoing practice, so it is something that we do frequently. The Bible calls us to do it frequently, and it it rehearses the atonement of Christ and celebrates Christian fellowship as we are going to see. So baptism and the Lord's Supper, they are ordinances, they are not sacraments. In other words, uh, they observe this we're, we're to observe Christ's command not as a means of salvation. They do not bring salvation. Instead, they are symbols of salvation and, and living illustrations that teaches us what it means to be in Christ. And instead of reading through all the text up front tonight, we're going to read through it in, in Bible study form as we come through it tonight. All four of the Gospels record the Last Supper... Where Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper in the upper room with his disciples. Jesus took, as you know, he took the Passover meal and he transformed the Passover meal into the Lord's Supper. And our passage tonight gives us the most comprehensive explanation the most comprehensive statement in all of the scripture about the Lord's Supper. And this is something that he has commanded the church to partake in on a regular basis. In other words, when, when he commands us to do something and we don't do it, it is what? Sin. It's disobedience to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him in the sin. So the Lord's Supper is, is something that we should be participating in, and we'll talk a little bit more about that as we go along. But there's three things in the section tonight that I want you to see that is on the heart of the apostle Paul, which of course the Holy Spirit inspired him to pin. And so this is then on the heart of God. ...as he inspires these things to be written about the Lord's Supper. And they're simple things. The first thing we'll look at is the unity of the church. Then we'll look at the sacrifice of Jesus. And then we'll look at the judgment of God in regards to the Lord's Supper. So first of all, look at the unity of the church. And we see this found in verses 17 through 22. Let's look at it. Now, in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not. That you come together, not for the better, but for the worse... For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must be also heresies, that word is really factions, divisions among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. When ye come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, everyone taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry, and another is drunken. What? Have ye not houses to eat and to drink in? Or despise ye the church of God, and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not." We've seen this as we've studied Corinthians time and time again in the church life. Whenever Christians and whenever the Christian church abuses or misuses a command that is given by God, the result of that is always division in the body. And, and of course, unity is at the heart of Paul as he writes this, and we've already studied that. But one of those abuses that the Corinthian church was partaking in was the Lord's Supper. They had really twisted and perverted grossly the Lord's Supper, and they had made it into a gluttonous, drunken feast, which is kind of hard for us to imagine today, and we'll talk about how it became that. Um, of course, the way we, we do it now, um, if you're counting on the Lord's Supper to fill you up, you're, you're desperate, all right? Uh, you're going to come in and get a small wafer and a little thing of juice and so, but it was it was different there. And notice in verse 17 what Paul says: "I praise you not." He says it again. Look at verse 22: "Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not." You remember last week when Brother Chris was teaching verse number two? Do you remember what he said? "I praise you." He was commending them. But now, as we come to this section, it is a definite rebuke uh, because of their misuse of the Lord's Supper. And this misuse has divided the church at Corinth. Paul is reprimanding the church. And notice what he says in verse 17. This is interesting. That their gatherings were no longer for the better, but for the worse. Look, when the church comes together, it ought to be for the better. It ought to be a time of encouragement, refreshment, challenge. Um, but, But it should be something we look forward to. Paul says it's no longer become something that is beneficial, that is advantageous for you, but it has it is, it is become something that is destructive. Mark this down. Satan loves to divide the church, doesn't he? He loves to divide the church, and he doesn't really care as much how he does it, just that he does it. And so many times he uses things within the church to divide the church. In, in fact, he does that most of the time. Healthy churches are characterized by truth, by holiness, by love, and by unity. Those those four things at the core, by truth, by holiness, by love, and by unity. And when a church is unhealthy, and when a church is unholy, and when a church is unloving, the result is disunity and division. And this showed itself in the Lord's Supper five times in this text We read a form of the phrase, and we read it a few times in those verses. When you come together. When you come together. Paul wants to make it clear that the Lord's Supper, this is not a casual dinner with friends. It is something that is to be done in a simple, serious way when the Christians in the church Come together. It is designed by God to be an ordinance that brings unity to the church. As we come together around the Lord's table, it should bring unity, and it had brought division to the church at Corinth. When we say church, by the way, we're not referencing this building, all right? Which means, in my opinion, some Christians from a church are gathered together in a home, and we see this in the New Testament that they can partake of the Lord's Supper together. They're, they're a, a church is the assembly, right? It's not the building. So when we come together and assemble, then we can do this, and it brings unity. It brings us together around the cross of Christ. So the church is the gathered assembly of redeemed people, uh, and we must not tolerate division within the body of Christ. Remember the very beginning of this epistle when Paul writes from the very uh, get-go in 1 Corinthians 1 10 he says this now I beseech you brethren by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that ye all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you but that that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment that's the heart of God but we also see here in our text in verse number 19 that Paul is clear there will be some factions in the church there there will be in fact the more people that you have, when you have 10 people, all right, there's, there's a good chance that overall those 10 might come in agreement, but even those 10 aren't. When you have 70, that chance reduces even more, right? When you have 300, that chance reduces even more. Paul says there, there's going to be, there are going to be factions and he says that when they arise, that they will, they will reveal the carnal from the spiritual. They, they will reveal the, those that are more encouraging from the critics. Paul says there's going to be things that come up where everyone doesn't see eye to eye and they reveal things. Look, look again, verse 19. For there must be also heresies and that's that's the word factions there will also be factions or heresies among you that they this is that they which are approved may be may be made manifest among you of course is this an excuse then to be divisive somebody says well praise the lord i have the spiritual gift of causing disunity within the body of christ not at all listen to luke 17 1. Then said he unto the disciples, it is impossible, but that offenses will come. All right? They're going to to happen. Notice, but woe unto him through whom they come. Hey, they're going to come. But if you're you're the, the leader of the spiritual gifts of division within the church then you're in a dangerous place because the rest of the verse says it would be better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he was cast into the sea. How many of you would say that seems like that's a pretty big deal? It's a pretty big deal. We should not be seeking to bring divisive situations, but from time to time they will arise. And when they do, they reveal a lot about a person and their intent. You don't don't know who the peacemakers are in your church unless you need somebody to make peace. You don't know who the people are that show love in the church unless you see the people who can be hateful to others. And then in contrast to that, you see the peacemakers. In other words, troubles and and even even, um, factions has a way of manifesting personalities. And I'll go a step further. It has a way of manifesting spirituality when they come. They have have the ability to reveal people's um, ability in leadership or their lack of ability in leadership. Whether they are going to try their very best to bring the body of Christ together, which is the desire of God, around truth and love. Or whether they are going to be one that is going to try to be divisive among the body of Christ. It brings these things to. Ahead. It says in Titus 3.10, if you find somebody who is divisive, give him an admonition or a warning. It says, give him another warning. And if he doesn't heed that warning, put him out. That's pretty strong, isn't it? What he means here is the purity of the church is vitally important to God. The unity of the church is vitally important to God. So may it be said of our church, what Paul said about the church of Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 4, 9. This is what he said to them, but as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you. Paul says, when it comes to loving one another, you do not need admonition from me, you do not need rebuke, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. Wouldn't that be something well to be said of Faith Baptist Tabernacle? By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if you have what? Love one for another. May that be the testimony of the church. Now, many of us believe that the early church may have practiced the Lord's Supper daily. Certainly they they practiced it very frequently. I believe Acts 2.46 is a reference to this. And I wouldn't be dogmatic about it, but it says in, in Acts 2.46, and they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. I think that's actually a reference to the Lord's Supper. Um, but, but because, don't miss this, because it had become a very frequent thing, and remember that when Jesus instituted this in the upper room just before his death, that it followed a common meal, Right? They had a common meal together, and then they had the Lord's Supper together. And so especially in the early church, this was the practice that many of them followed. But the Corinthians had abused it, and they had allowed them to mesh, and they had allowed it just to become one big eating party. One big trip to the Golden Corral. And because of this, it also brought divisions Amongst social statuses within the church. Because the rich then began to bring all the food and eat it. And when the poor people showed up, it was all gone. And we see that there was divisions. We see that in verse number 20 and 21. We also see it later in verse 33 and 34 that they had turned it into this big buffet. They had turned it into a feast for satisfying hunger, which was not what the Lord intended for the Lord's Supper to be. The, the, the elements that, we, that represent the body and blood of Jesus, they had been used irreverently. So their gathering, Paul says, has no longer become unifying and beneficial. May it never be said that your gatherings at Faith Baptist Tabernacle, are no longer beneficial. That they bring division instead of unity to the body of Christ. So Paul's first admonition is to the unity of the church in regards to the Lord's Supper. Then secondly, and this is the section that we're most familiar with. In fact, um, I think every Lord's Supper, we read this here, and it is focusing on what the Lord's Supper is truly about. The first part is... What it wasn't about, what they had, how they had abused it, now what it is truly about, it is truly about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so it says in verse 23, look at it, for I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup, and when he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do you as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Verse 23, let's just walk through this. Verse 23 is a claim of divine revelation. He's saying, I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you. In other words, this is from God. This isn't Paul's opinion. This is from God. The Lord's Supper is not a man-made ritual then. It's not something that, that Paul made up, the early church made up. It was handed down to us from Christ himself. It says that he himself, on the night that he was betrayed, which is awesome, isn't it? That in an atmosphere of betrayal, Jesus demonstrated his love. Paul points the church to the sacrificial sufferings of Christ. And the simple meal of bread and juice remembers Christ crucified. Look at verse 23 and verse 24. Again, it reminds us what the bread represents. And that when we take it, there is also an element of thanksgiving. A lot of times I think we leave this part out. It is a sober time. It is, it is a somber time. But it is also a time of thanksgiving. Notice what he says. When he had given thanks, he broke it. And of course, he broke it reminds us of the sacrifice of his broken body. Jesus affirms his incarnation. This is my body. Jesus also affirms his substitutionary atonement. He says, which is broken for who? For you. This is the substitution. I'm doing this for you. I'm taking your sin upon myself when you take of the Lord's Supper remember the substitutionary atonement of Jesus and the bread symbolizes the body of Christ it doesn't actually become the body of Christ it is a symbol of the body of Christ and Jesus commands do this in remembrance of me this is this is not a suggestion again this is an imperative this is a is a command In other words, if you don't partake in the Lord's Supper, you're being disobedient to Christ. Jesus says, do this to remember him. Why? Why should we do this to remember him? Duh, because we're prone to forget, right? We're prone to get busy living life and forget the reason that we have eternal life is because of the atonement of Jesus Christ. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We're prone to forget, aren't we, the scourging and beating that he went through. We're prone to forget that they spat upon his face, that they took a crown of thorns and they shoved it into his head, that they drove spikes into his hands and his feet, that they thrust a spear into his side, and that they went, he went through all of that for you and I. Verse 25, Jesus says much of the same about the the cup, the juice, the old covenant was based on the behavior of Israel. And when they obeyed God, bless them. When they disobeyed God, punished them. But the new covenant is based on Christ's blood. One of my favorite verses in all of scripture comes in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7. In whom we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of. Of his grace. How many of you are thankful for the riches of his grace? The abundance of his grace. The blood of Jesus that was poured out for you and I. Verse 25 of our text says, Again, do this as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. In remembrance of me. The Passover meal, by the way, what did it celebrate? It celebrated Israel's freedom from bondage, right? And so when Jesus turns that into the Lord's Supper, he is doing it so that we would remember our freedom from bondage. We would remember that we have been set free by the the cross of Christ, by the death of Christ, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we're to do this, how long? Till he comes back until he returns he says as often as you do this and and again I think discretion is given as to the frequency I think that it should be done frequent enough in order to remember when we tend to forget but not so frequently that it just becomes a casual thing that we just do that was the problem in the Corinthian church it had become just something they went through So some churches do it every week. Some churches do it every month. We do it every other month here, six times a year. There is no specific time frame given in the scripture, but we're to do it until he returns. A.T. Robertson said this, The Lord's Supper is the great preacher of the death of Christ till the second coming. I love that. Because he says we proclaim the Lord's death. We proclaim the Lord's death. In other words, the cross is the center of Christian preaching. We proclaim that the Lord died. We proclaim how he died. We proclaim why he died. And it's odd to me that many churches who do this out of ritual, some of them do it every single Sunday, and there hasn't been a message preached on the cross of Christ there in years, because it's offensive. But they still go through these things that are supposedly a symbol of what? But they've turned it into something that it isn't, almost like a confessional. If I go and partake of the Lord's Supper, then I'll have favor with God. That's not ever what the Lord's Supper was intended to do, it was intended to remind us of Christ's sacrifice for us. It proclaims the coming of Christ also, not only the past, but it proclaims the future. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. So does the Lord's Supper look back in remembrance? It does, but what else does it do? It looks forward in, an, in anticipation. And when we come to the Lord's Supper, we remember, and man, we anticipate, don't we? Thank you, Jesus, for what you did for us. Because of that, we are going to spend eternity with you, and we're looking forward to that. It's both of these things. It's an act of obedience and an act of faith. We believe the crucified Savior died on the cross, and we believe that the risen Savior is coming back again, don't we, church? Amen. Acts 111, you remember... As Jesus was going back into heaven, he says, You men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which you see going into heaven, he's coming back in like manner. He's coming back for us. Don't ever forget it. And do the Lord's Supper, often remembering that he's coming back for us. Then the third thing, and we'll try to move through this fairly quickly tonight, is the judgment of God. Look at verse 27. We'll read down through verse 34. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord, I would mark this word in your Bible, unworthily, shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, there it is again, eateth and drinketh damnation, there's a strong word, to himself not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. Or die, for if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. How many of you would rather have the chastisement of the Lord as his child than the condemnation of the Lord like eternal damnation? Let me say that again. How many of you would like to have the loving chastening of the Lord as his child? than eternal damnation and condemnation like the world. He's giving the contrast here. Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another, and if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye come not together unto condemnation, and the rest will I set in order when I come. You might think that the primary text of the Lord's Supper would emphasize the grace of God. <laughs> I mean, it is talking about the atonement of Jesus Christ. But instead, this last section emphasizes the divine judgment of God, which, by the way, does picture for us the grace of God, doesn't it? You ever been to a jewelry store and they're showing you the diamond and they put it behind a black cloth so that you can see clearly the diamond? That's much like the divine judgment of God and the grace of God. Wow, the grace of God is really on display when you think about the judgment of God, right? When it's set against the display of the judgment of God. And so he speaks here to, the, to judgment. How should we practice the Lord's Supper in light of the judgment of God? Sh- we should not come to the Lord's table carelessly, casually, like the Corinthians did. We should come soberly. We should come with self-examination. That's the big word here. Come with self-examination. Look what he says. Let a person examine himself and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. It doesn't say that we're to examine other people. It says that we're to examine ourselves. And that word examine means to test, to approve. Much like the psalmist said in Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24, this is a prayer that I pray every time before we take the Lord's Supper. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You know why I pray that? Because the the heart of your pastor deceives him sometimes. Makes me think that I'm good, I'm okay, and sometimes I need to say, God, show me. Show me what you see. Search me. Turn the searchlight on in my heart. Because my heart can be deceitful. So it should cause us then, when we find something in our life that shouldn't be there, when when the searchlight is turned on and we see the dirtiness, or we see something that should be there that's not there, In other words, God says, you haven't been spending time with me in the word of God, you haven't been spending time with me in prayer, or he shows us a sin that is in our life, then we should deal with it. Because, listen, to not partake of the Lord's Supper is disobedience. When I come into the the house at night and there is a, a meal prepared, and like a lot of men, we like to... Uh, We like to go over and start taste testing everything. I mean, okay, I'm by myself on that. Um, and, And sometimes Kim will say, don't touch the food. Don't touch the food. Now, she's not sending me to bed hungry. What is she saying? Before you touch the food, go what? Wash your hands. Go clean. It's not right. It's disobedience for a child of God not to... Partake of the Lord's Supper. So here's what he says. Get right with God. (laughs) Self-examine yourself. Confess and repent of your sin and partake of the Lord's Supper. Paul shows us here how both to provoke and prevent divine judgment when it comes to the Lord's Supper. How many of you would say, I would rather prevent it than provoke it? He gives us both here provoking divine judgment we see in verse number 29 for he that eats and drinks unworthily eats and drinks damnation to himself not discerning the lord's body how many of you would just take your your halo off for a second and say that there's been times when you've come into church and you've casually sung you've casually kind of went through the motions your heart wasn't really in it you you were here anybody else besides the pastor All right, yeah. You know what he says? Don't you dare do that with the Lord's Supper. We shouldn't do it at all. But don't you dare do that with the Lord's Supper. Don't take it without thinking carefully about the sacrifice of Christ. It is to eat and drink judgment on ourselves. And verse 29 shows us that non-Christians should not participate in the Lord's Supper. And listen, every pastor should be clear when we partake of the Lord's Supper. This is for saved believers who are in fellowship with God, who have examined their hearts. Verse 30 says, because that it had become something very casual and careless, that many of the people... It provoked such anger, righteous anger, in God that many were sick and some had died. A pandemic struck. Why? Because they were playing church with the Lord's table. It had just become a mockery. Beware, God may check you out of here for mocking his death. His death. And then we see preventing divine judgment. This is what we all want. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. Judged. How do we prevent divine judgment? By judging ourselves. By asking God to reveal to us things in our life. And I don't know about you, but I am thankful for a wonderful, merciful Father. Amen. And I'm thankful for 1 John 1, 1.9, that when we confess our sins, He is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins because he's paid the price for them he's faithful and he's just to forgive us our sins verse 32 says but when you are judged we are chastened of the lord that we should not be condemned with the world there's the two judgments the judgment to the world which is eternal judgment and the judgment of his children i'm thankful in fact this morning in our prayer time, Ms. Christina reminded me of this in her prayer when she thanked God for a lot of things, for his love and his grace and his mercy, but then she thanked God for his loving, chastening hand. I thought, you know, I need to be more thankful for that. So guess what? I prayed it too in my prayer. Yeah, thank you, God, for, for lovingly correcting me. It's funny. Parents get this idea when it comes to their children. But then, when it comes to God in them, they don't get it. They don't want it. Hebrews 12 and verse 6, For whom the Lord loves, he what? Chastens. And he scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Thank God that God loves us enough to chasten us and to correct us and to protect us from ourselves. And then, In the last two verses, as he kind of closes it up, he deals with self-denial. Self-examination and then self-denial. In verses 33 and verse 34. Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another. Hey, don't, don't do this without everyone, specifically the poor. And if any man hunger, hey, if you're hungry, eat at home. Don't come To the Lord's Supper for it. (laughs) That ye come not together unto condemnation. And the rest, Paul says, the rest of this I'm going to set in order when I come. This is one of the more than 30 one another commands in the New Testament. And it really is for us to prefer one another. If you're hungry, go home and eat. Paul says, don't mix up what you do at your table with what you do at the Lord's table. Wait for one another. This is to be done when you come together and it's to be done reverently with self-examination, remembering the death of Jesus Christ and remembering that he is also our soon-coming king. And do it often so you don't forget what he's done for you. This rebuke... Uh, concerning the Lord's Supper, something that the church, by and large, in our world, could use today, couldn't they? And if we're not careful, we could abuse it as well. We could come to it casually as well. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this warning, this word of rebuke. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's all profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction. We're thankful for the passages that encourage us and build us up, and we're thankful for the passages of warning that prevent us from your judgment. This being one of those, Lord, I pray that we would always be a people who remember the Lord's Supper, to be something that we do in a sober uh, way and yet with a heart of thanksgiving for what you've done for us and with remembrance and anticipation. May, may, it be, may it be what you designed it to be. May the Word of God be our guide. May it not be a ritual, a tradition. May we not misrepresent it. May we not take it for personal gain, but Lord, to remember the sacrifice that you made for us. We ask all this in Christ's precious name. Amen.